Yes, how are y'all? Okay, that was, uh, we're cold. That was what that was translated. Okay, so I'm just curious. If we haven't met yet, by the way, my name is Doug. I'm the young adult pastor here at the table. Uh, really glad you've chosen to gather with us on this uh, brisk, uh, cold night in November. Um, how many of you have... Uh, how many of you don't like the cold as a general rule, and that's why you live in Florida? Okay, cool. All right. Yep. Um, how many of you like the cold, and maybe you're from the Midwest, but now that you've lived in Florida, you can't handle it? We got any of those? Okay, fair. Okay, how many just love the cold no matter what? Cool. All right. Great. Great. Those are my kind of people. Um, today, um, we've had a, a definitely a Florida slash just Southern United States experience in that, you know, I dress, I've got the Snoop Dogg shirt on, right? Courtesy of Jason Lancaster, who bought me this today. So Snoop Dogg, right? Um, And then I've got another shirt on underneath, and then I have this shirt over it, and then I had a hoodie over it. So as I'm walking outside, I'm at the appropriate body temperature. And then what happens? You go into a room in Florida, and they're like, it's 50 outside. We're going to counterbalance that by making it 95 inside. And so I walk in, and then I'm sweating, and I've got to peel everything off, man. So I don't know. Did you guys experience that today? Okay. We're trying to make it 55 in the room, too, so that you guys – because you – listen, listen. There's two things I know to be true in November. Hallmark movies, Right. And then decorative scarves we get to wear like four days a year in Orlando. So I want to let make sure you get your scarf game maximum kind of potential going right now. Anyway. Um, well, hey, we're in the midst of a multi-week sermon series, a message series through the book of Ephesians. Um, and tonight we're going to talk about a very particular topic. Uh, remember last week we talked about sex, or two weeks ago we talked about sex. And this week we're going to deal with another kind of hot button topic, especially for young adults. But rather than me coming up to talk about that, I thought this would be an incredible opportunity for another person on our staff to come uh, and share this message and a little bit of his story. Um, If you don't know him, uh, his name's David Branch. He's the director of our UCF ministry, uh, fixing to be the AAC back-to-back champion uh, Knights. Go Knights, charge on. And uh, so he's going to come up uh, and communicate for us right now. Would you guys give a big table welcome to our good friend, David Branch? What's up, guys? How are we tonight? Good stuff. Well, it's great to see you. As Doug said, my name is David Branch, and I do have the privilege of serving as the UCF campus director. Um, big things are happening out at UCF right now. Uh, we are 24-0. and Our football team is 24-0. and Yes, yes, thank you. Um, we had our new president. Uh, shout out Dr. Whitaker. He'll probably never listen to this, but shout out Dr. Whitaker. Um, we also, we also now have a Gringos Locos on campus. Do we have any like Gringos Locos fans? Thank you. Yeah. John Dryling right here is just loves it, man. He's, he frequents that place all the time. Well, God is also doing something out at UCF. I have the privilege of working with 11 just top notch leaders um, and they lead three life groups on campus and we're just seeing God save people and God bring people into D groups, and he's using the leaders that I get to work with on a week-to-week basis. I am just so blessed to be able to partner with leaders like these. But tonight, as Doug said, we're talking about something that's buzzy. Hey, 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 okay. Sorry, dad joke, dad joke. But we're going to talk about alcohol. Talk about alcohol. Okay, y'all get it? Okay, y'all good? Okay, there we go. We're going to talk about alcohol tonight. 
And so it's buzzy, right? It, it creates a lot of controversy. Well, it, it breeds a lot of controversy because there are just so many assumptions and experiences, and there's just so many variables that are, at, that are at stake and are in place when this topic comes up. And so maybe you're the person here tonight that when you go to a Chili's or you go to a Miller's Ale House and you order a Zinger Mountain Melt and you get a water with lemon, all right, but the person next to you gets a beer and it just makes you squirm and it's uncomfortable and you have no idea what to do in this situation, what do you do? Or maybe you're the person here tonight um, that's just all about Christian liberties and freedom in Christ, and you just love a good drinking game, or you just smash a 12-pack of Bud Light before going to life group. You're just all about it. You're all about it. Or maybe, and I feel the need uh, to touch on this, or maybe you're the person that has just dealt with something traumatic and alcohol has been involved, Maybe it was a family member, maybe it was a friend. Number one, I love you. Number one, we love you. But number two, I'm sorry. But whatever your experience is here tonight, this is the question I wanna answer for us. What does it mean for Jesus to renew our alcohol consumption? But before we go about answering that question, would y'all just pray with me? Jesus, some of us in the room tonight are tired, we're weary, we're burned out. But Lord, you are the good shepherd, and you will restore our soul, and you will lead us to green pastures, God. And I ask that tonight we'd be refreshed with your word. Help us to be teachable and receive it well. Help us to be meek and take it in and apply it, whatever that may look like for us. For your glory and our good God, we ask this in your name and pray. Amen. So, um, as Doug said, we've been in a study of Ephesians. This is a book that was written by a guy named Paul. Uh, he was a leader in the church uh, in around 50 A.D., and he wrote this book into two parts, two movements, if you will. Now, the first three chapters, Paul is communicating the truth that we are saved by grace. And the second movement is Paul is showing us how do we walk in the way that Jesus walked because of the grace that we've received. Doug summarized that for us this way. We are saved by grace to walk in these ways. Tonight, uh, starting in verse 15 and 17, what Paul's simply doing here is he's rehashing that truth. And so if it's cool with y'all, I'm just gonna kinda skip over that because what Paul's doing here is he's reinforcing the truth that he communicates all throughout Ephesians. There's nothing really new here. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna unpack verses 18 through 21. I'm just gonna put this right here because it's annoying me. Um, what Paul's doing here is he's, um, in verses 18 through 21, he's communicating to us about alcohol. So if y'all wouldn't mind, would y'all just, whatever you use to read God's word, whether it's your phone, your iPad, whatever it is, if you wouldn't mind, let's start in verse 18. Let's read together. 
And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in our In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so let's notice together that in verse 18, Paul doesn't speak against alcohol. He speaks against drunkenness. Paul doesn't speak against alcohol. He speaks against drunkenness. Drunkenness. Now, I mentioned earlier that there were just a lot of experiences and variables and things that come into play when we talk about alcohol. There's a lot of conversation about this topic. But what's interesting is that in Scripture, it really doesn't mention alcohol a whole lot. It really doesn't. I was a baseball player growing up, and so I'm going to put this to you in baseball terms. Alcohol according to the scripture, is really a minor league issue. Not a major league issue. It's a minor league issue, not a major league issue. And so when we approach this conversation, it's really like we don't, it's not this huge topic that, in, that, that we need to devote all this debate to. Now we also have to check ourselves um, on another point. Sometimes we place alcohol by itself into the moral arena, meaning if I choose to drink alcohol, that makes me a bad person. Or on the other side, if I choose to not drink alcohol, that makes me a great person. But, the, but alcohol by itself doesn't belong into the moral arena that we exist in as humans. But something else does, and that's drunkenness. And so what does Paul mean by drunkenness here? Well, um, let me unpack this for you. Um, And it might be more helpful um, to dive into some Greek here. Okay, I know I'm not a Greek scholar. I know probably none of us here are Greek scholars. But I think it's helpful here in understanding what Paul means by do not get drunk with wine. What Paul is trying to communicate here to us is this idea of agency. This idea of agency, okay? Let me help you this way. Let me illustrate. There's a big difference in me saying, I drove the car home. There's a big difference in me saying that and me saying the car drove me home. The difference lies in the agency there. In the first, I have all the decision-making power. In the second, the car does. And what Paul is telling us here is, Don't don't make that exchange. Don't give your decision-making power over to something or someone else that you shouldn't. Don't give your decision-making power to something or someone that you shouldn't. You don't have to do that. But let me tell you about a time that I did. Let me tell you about a time that I made that exchange. Let me tell you about a time but the first time 
but I got drunk. So I was a, a freshman in college. All right, so maybe some of you here are freshmen, and you know that, you know, the first thing you want to look for when you go to college is your dorm room. It's the first thing you want to find, but the second thing is you want to find friends. And so I was blessed with the opportunity uh, to go to Missouri and play college baseball, so my friends were kind of given to me uh, on, on the baseball team. And so one day after practice, um, one day after practice, my friends approached me, and they said, hey, David, we're going to go to the Kennett Fair. All right, now the Kennett Fair was this little small fair in Kennett, Missouri, where there were like pigs running around and just like crazy stuff, okay? But my friends invited me to come to this fair. All right, so we hopped in his truck and we drove down to Kennett, Missouri, and we rolled up to his house. Now this was puzzling to me, because I thought we were going to the fair, but we came up to his house. And so I thought, we were like, okay, we're just gonna like chill, you know, sip on some sweet tea, watch some ESPN, but no, we were going to drink. And so I walked into this situation, and let me remind you, this is the first time I got drunk, but this is also the first time I drank. So I had no idea about what was about to happen to me. I had no idea. So I walked in to the situation, and I walked into the house, and there was every kind of alcohol you can imagine on the island. So I walk in, and I get squirmy, and I'm uncomfortable, and I don't know what to do. And my friend tells me that we're going to participate in something called pre-gaming. Okay? Now, I don't know if y'all know about pre-gaming. I had no idea at this point what this was. All right? Imagine innocent little David walking into this, this situation, okay? I was like, what's pre-gaming, dude? Like, what do you mean by pre-gaming? Are we going to, like, do some dynamic stretches and get warmed up for the, for the game? next? Like, what's going on here? All right? But basically, what he tells me is that pre-gaming is basically dress rehearsal for your liver, okay? It's dress rehearsal for your liver. And I was like, oh, that, sound, that doesn't sound good. But then at that point, he hands me a McDonald's sweet teacup, all right? He poured it out, poured the sweet tea out. I don't know why you'd waste a dollar, all right, on a good McDonald's sweet teacup, but they did. And I, I guess I did too, but he poured, he gave me the McDonald's sweet teacup. It had been filled with vodka and blue Gatorade. Yeah, 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 well, yeah. Handed me the McDonald's sweet teacup, all right. I had two decisions at that point, two decisions. I could have either taken that cup and drank of it, or I could have said, nah, man, I'm good, not tonight. Well, your boy here chose the first option. I drank. Okay, I drank. And I drank. All right? I started sipping on it and sipping on it and sipping on it and sipping on it and sipping on it to the point where when I tried to get off the couch to leave, I had to sit right back down because I was so dizzy. All right? And after that, my friend basically had to help me to the truck. And he had been drinking too. I would have never have done that if I was sober. Never. But notice what happened there in that situation, the first time I got drunk. I had given all of my decision-making power, my ability to walk, the ability to put one foot in front of the other, what I learned when I was two years old. One, two, when did you learn how to walk? One years old? Two? I don't know. One years old? Okay. Mom, one years old? Okay, thank you. My mom's here tonight. My, my family's here tonight. So, yeah. Woo! 
Um, I, had, I had exchanged my ability to function as a human being because I was drunk. Paul is admonishing us, don't do that. You don't have to do that. You don't have to give your decision-making power to something or someone that you shouldn't. However, I think there is a situation in which it's okay and it's actually good for us to make this exchange. To make the exchange and give our agency and our decision-making power to something or someone else. And the answer is found in the second half of verse 18. So go, go back and look at, this, look at this verse. It says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice that the alternative to getting drunk is being filled with the Spirit. That's an exchange worth making. The Spirit is far more better than anything or anyone else we could ever look to to make that exchange with. It's the one thing in life that we can give our decision-making power to. Now, that verse, be filled with the Spirit, that confused me growing up. It was quite confusing for me. Because what I really didn't understand was the supernatural mechanics of it. It seemed like on the surface that what Paul was asking me to do and what he was asking us to do was initiate this divine exchange. This divine exchange of initiating God's decision to fill us with his spirit. Maybe let me put it to you this way. Sometimes you read this passage and the assumption is that if we give enough, if we serve enough, if we lead a life group, if we attend a life group, if we attend a table, if we attend a Sunday night, God will then pour out his spirit. But it's actually quite the opposite. If you'll recall with me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, the gospel summary verse. I'm sure we've all heard it. Paul writes, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Friends, God's spirit is a gift. He alone is responsible for initiating his spirit and filling you with his spirit every single day. Not us. We don't have to barter with God. We don't have to barter with God for him to fill us with his spirit. We don't have to do that. He offers it to us every single day as a gift because he just loves us lavishly. You don't have to barter with God to receive his spirit. But then if that's the case, why does Paul seem to assign this responsibility to us? He tells us to be filled by the Spirit. Why does he admonish us to do this? It's a great question. It's a question that I had growing up. Why does Paul ask us to be filled with his Spirit? 
Well, there's something that Ephesians 4 calls grieving the spirit. Grieving the spirit. What does that mean? Well, let me unpack that for you. Okay, this hose I moved earlier. This is not uh, my keg funnel, just to make that clear, okay? Just to make it clear. All right, I got that comment when I walked in, and I was like, oh, dang, I need to address that. But, um, okay, we have a hose, right? We have this hose. We're all from Florida here, okay? So I'm sure we know how to use a garden hose, all right? But let's say that this end of the hose is attached to a spigot, nozzle knob, whatever you want to call it. Let's say it's attached to this uh, spigot here. All right? Now let's say this end is, it's, is pointed towards a plant. All right? A sunflower, a rose, whatever you, whatever you wish. Something beautiful. All right? Say so it's pointed at this plant. All right? And let's also say that on this end, the spigot is God. Say the spigot is God. Now let's say this plant is our life, our beautiful life, our God-given life. All right? We're all familiar with hoses here. What's the most frustrating thing sometimes about a hose? It kinks up. Thank you. Thank you, Jess. It kinks up. All right? Friends, sometimes we are the kink. God is pouring out his spirit into our lives every single day. But sometimes the kink of sex, alcohol, drugs, approval, romance, whatever, whatever it is, sometimes this kink gets in the way. It gets in the way of God pouring out his spirit into our lives. And Paul is telling us to be filled by the spirit because this is a reality. He's asking us, Hey, if you have a kink, find it and unwind it so God can pour out his spirit into our lives. Drunkenness was my kink. And I had to find it and I had to unwind it. So how did I do this? How did I go about renewing my alcohol consumption? How did I get this kink out of my life? Well, I had to come to grips with the following reality. I had to come to grips with the reality that in my calloused, broken heart, I was saying, drunkenness is satisfying. But that a renewed heart says that the spirit is satisfying. So then how do we do this? We've been talking about this idea of renewal the last few weeks. How do we go about taking this calloused heart, how did I go about taking this calloused heart, throwing that away? That's some junk. How did I take this heart, throw it away, and pick up this renewed heart? How did I go about doing that? How can we go about doing that? Well, the answer is found in the following verses, verses 19 through 21. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and read that with me again. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's application here for us, his strategy, if you will, for renewing our alcohol consumption is twofold. First, he admonishes us to sing songs. Sing songs, worship, praise God. Now that may seem simple, but it's very, very functional. Let me show you why. When I'm at the Kennett Fair as a freshman in college, and I grab this McDonald's cup, and I start drinking, does my throat have the capacity to then also sing Amazing Grace? No, I'll choke, all right, I'll choke. Our throats are terrible at multitasking. They're, it's awful. We can't take shots and sing songs. It's impossible. And so Paul is actually giving us a very functional way to renew our alcohol consumption here. This reminds me of a time and actually my second year in Missouri. Uh, my second year was much better than my first year. Um, but I realized looking back on it that I had actually discovered Paul's application here. I had found a song that spoke to me. It spoke to my heart. It spoke to my heart that was just desiring belonging and satisfaction but it also provided this functional way for me not to wander back into that life that I lived in my first year. It's a song, um, it's a song by Hillsong called Forever Rain. If y'all wouldn't mind, I just want to read that over y'all and I'm going to share it with you, all right? It goes like this. You are peace, You are peace when my fear is crippling. You are true, you are true, even in my wandering. You are joy, you are joy. You're the reason that I sing. You are life, you are life, and death has lost its sting. I'm running to your arms. I'm running to your arms. The riches of your love will always be enough. God, nothing compares to your embrace. Light of the world forever reign. I share that song to you for the reasons I just said. It spoke to me. It spoke to my heart. It's, it it made me more aligned with the reality that God was pouring out his spirit every single day and that he lavishly, lavishly loved me. But it also kept me from wandering back, back to the Kennet Fair, drinking vodka and Gatorade. It served as both a functional and a spiritual application for my life. Now Paul's second application here is simply this, healthy community, 
healthy community. Now, typically, when someone gets drunk, and I've had firsthand experience with this, typically, there are, there are social issues at play. A study done by researchers at the University of Minnesota, they determined that there were really two reasons for getting drunk. The first, the first is social anxiety. Social anxiety. You see, drunkenness helps and, and acts as a remedy for the insecurities that we feel in social situations. For me, I wanted a friend. And alcohol helped calm my nerves down a little bit so that I could connect with, with other people. And I don't know if y'all are aware about drinking culture, but you could really divide people into two camps when they're drunk. You have your happy drunks, and you have your sad drunks. Moments, moments of confession. Moment of confession, friends. I am a happy drunk. Okay? I'm a happy drunk. I turned into the life of the party. I'm probably a little more outgoing than I am right now, actually. But when I, when I got drunk, people started validating me. They said, man, you're funny. You're outgoing. You're cool. All that stuff. Drunkenness acts as a remedy for the insecurities that we feel. It acted as a remedy for me and my insecurities. The study also highlighted another reason. Tragedy. Tragedy. Man, when we lose someone, we go through a breakup, we lose a job. We can turn to alcohol to cope with the feelings that we experience after that. We can temporarily suspend the sadness or the grief of losing something or someone. But it doesn't have to be that way. So let me tell you, and I'm going to close with this story. Let me tell you about a time where I was both sad and lonely. January 2017. My family's really close, and uh, we lost my nana. It was, it was really tough for my family, because she, she was a rock, and it happened suddenly. She had an aneurysm, and she passed away in just a couple of days. I don't know about y'all, but that was the first death that I had ever felt. You know, growing up, maybe like a 16th cousin passes away, right? And you're like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, really sad. But this is a death that I felt. And I remember on the day of the funeral, I was sitting in the pew crying for what felt like the first time in a long time. If you know me, I'm not a crier. I never cry. So this is a rare occurrence for me. But I was sad, and I was sitting by myself in a pew, trying to wrap my head around death and loss and grief, and my Nana wasn't going to be at Christmas anymore. 
how was I supposed to deal with this? This tragedy. This tragedy that made me a little bit lonely. Fortunately, at that point, people walked in. My friends. And I don't even know if I've ever told them this, how grateful I am for this. But as I'm sitting there in the pew, sitting there in the pew, sad and lonely, in walked some of my best friends in the whole world. Your pastor, Doug Hankins, Alec Brockell, Britt Nelson, and our friend TJ. They were there for me when I was at my lowest. When I was at my lowest, at my worst, they were at their best. After the funeral, they came up to me and they hugged me. And they told me that they, they loved me. And they made me laugh and they ate food with me. And then they left. But because they were present in my life, at a point where I needed them most, I didn't have to turn to alcohol. In a different season, I may have turned back to that McDonald's cup with vodka and Gatorade in it, but I didn't have to anymore because I had healthy community that rallied around me when I was sad and lonely. What Paul is saying here, by him saying submit to one another, what he's saying is mourn with those who mourn, celebrate with those who celebrate, grieve with those who grieve. Bear the one another's because sometimes our lives depend on it. Tonight, as the band makes their way up, what I hope that you, that you saw from tonight, what Paul is saying, is that we're all going to drink something. We're all going to drink alcohol. We're all going to drink sex Drugs, approval, romance, whatever it may be. But those will not satisfy you. Take it from me. The only thing that will satisfy you is the spirit of God. Is the one thing that will do that. So friends, let's sing songs. Let's go to a life group. Let's practice healthy community. Let's not get drunk on wine but let's get drunk on Jesus. Because he is the thing that is most satisfying in this life. Friends, be filled with the Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for taking my brokenness my insecurities, my mess, God, and turning it into a powerful, powerful testimony of your goodness and your faithfulness and your grace. Lord, I pray that for the people in the room tonight, maybe they're not struggling with alcohol or drunkenness. Maybe it's something else. Whatever their kink may be, Jesus, I pray 
that you would open their hearts and open their eyes to the beauty of your love and your grace and the cross. And Lord, I pray for the people that just need to make that first step with you. God, of being made alive in you, becoming a son or a daughter of you. Lord, I pray that you would prompt them to that tonight. Lord, I pray for the people like me that may have wandered a little bit. Lord, I pray that they would just come home and run to your arms, God, because you are life and you are joy and you are true and nothing, God, nothing compares to your embrace. Jesus, thank you so, so much for your spirit and your sacrifice on Calvary. In your name we pray.